Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It's officially that time of year, folks. Time for us to run back one of our favorite segments here on the Cracked Interviews Podcast. We have officially reached the NCAA Sweet 16. As such, we are officially ready to unveil our Cracked Racket Sweet 16 press row, where I will attempt to speak with one representative from Every remaining Division One team still alive in that NCAA team event. Now, in the past, we've tried to speak with head coaches exclusively. I wanted to mix things up. We've been so fortunate to speak with so many of these head coaches, not just in the past, but in this 2023 season in particular, that, again, I wanted to hear a different perspective on where each of these teams currently sit entering this Sweet 16 weekend. As such, yes, you'll hear from some head coaches, but you'll also hear from some assistant coaches. You'll hear from some players over the next few days on this podcast. As again, I try to prepare all of us college tennis fans for the start of the NCAA Sweet 16. Before we get to today's episode, have to give a massive shout out to the support we get from our friends at Turner, who not only support this podcast, they support each and every week's episode of The Deciding Point and support tennis players everywhere by providing, simply put, the best grip available on the market. There's a reason all of us as tennis fans can identify a Turner grip on someone's racket. That iconic trademark blue color, it glistens on each and every tennis court. It's utilized, of course. It's also the best in the business, the most durable. It gets tackier as you sweat. And now they've got the latest iteration of their Turner grip as well as Turner has unveiled. Turner Tough, it's just a better version of that Turner grip all of us has come to love. You can, of course, find Turner Grips wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. And look, the next time you got to change your grip, know that Turner not only provides the best in the business, they support our podcasts here as well. So the least we can ask you to do is support them also. A massive shout out to our friends at Turner. Be sure to check out the latest iteration, the Turner Tough Grip today. With that said, let's get to it. Here is an episode from our 2023 NCAA Sweet 16 Press row. Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey, everyone. Joining me on today's show to discuss Stanford's Pac-12 title, Road to the NCAA Sweet 16, and her phenomenal career to date is Stanford sophomore Alexandra Yepifanova. Alexandra has compiled a 41 and 6 dual match record for the Cardinal at the line one and line two spots. She's led Stanford to back to back Pac 12 tournament titles and was recently named your 2023 Pac 12 Player of the Year. Alexandra, congratulations on all of your success to date, including last weekend's win over Oklahoma State. It's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? 
Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's been quite a ride this year already, and there's a lot of tennis left to play. I'm really excited to be competing this weekend and looking forward to the match. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all looking forward to this weekend's action. Let's start with this past weekend's win over Oklahoma State. This was not an easy second round by any means. Oklahoma State was ranked number 17, so they were just on the outside looking in of a top 16 seed. What did you make of the team's performance and what's really been clicking for Stanford down the home stretch of the season and into postseason? Yeah, as we were watching the draw being announced, we knew that Oklahoma State was possibly the worst second round that we could have gotten, as in they're the best team. They've had great results. They just went 3-4 uh, with Texas, very competitive. Um, we knew that it was going to be com- like very close. We knew that we had to step up our game. And um, as the tennis goes, every single match, we really focus on the doubles point first. Like We don't think about singles. We know that singles is three times as important as doubles but that doesn't matter because as long as we win the point we have that safety net and singles allows us to play loose and uh, from there on it becomes much easier for us actually I ended up losing my singles match and winning my doubles so uh, my team really got my back on that one but they were a great team I thought that all of our matches were fair They were great opponents. We knew that when they were going to be coming in. And yeah, they showed us some true tennis. It was 4-1 on our part, but it was really competitive tennis. A lot of matches went three sets and it was just very nerve wracking as all of NCAAs will be. But at the same time, we knew that we really have to be comfortable beating teams like Oklahoma State uh, in order to go to depth in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And you talk about that doubles point. And sounds like that has been a point of emphasis for you all. Talk a little bit about, you know, the pairings that you have out on court, uh, who's been clicking and also kind of you partnering with Sarah Choi, fifth year. Uh, What's that partnership been like? And what are kind of some of the key principles you all focus in in doubles? So our doubles partners kind of go, they vary. I started off the year with Valencia Shu, uh, also an amazing doubles player, like really good hands, great serve. I like playing with her a lot, but I think playing with Sarah has really stepped up my game. Sarah's really high doubles IQ. She, re- I think she sees the court really well. She knows where her opponents are going to move and she can predict uh, like behavior really well, which obviously in doubles is a huge thing. You have to know what's going on at all times because the points are much quicker than singles points and also she has good like reflex volleys she has a good serve as well and she's very consistent from the baseline so she's overall a really great player so I really enjoy playing with her as for the other doubles teams Jell and Alexis at one are unstoppable I think they're the best team in the country hands down I especially like For me, I watch their doubles a lot. I feel like they, like I have a lot of a lot to learn from their style of playing. I think they're so solid from the baseline. They're so coordinated together and big serves and just I think they can go really deep in the individual doubles tournament. 
Uh, as for Kanye and Valencia, they're also very solid and they have a more, um, I would say, old school game. I think they come in a lot and I see players doing that less nowadays. Like for me, I stand like two back or on the baseline a lot, whereas they are so comfortable coming in, which is also very admirable. So I'm really happy with our doubles right now. I think we started the season off with um, kind of lacking our doubles abilities. I think that a lot of teams picked up on that. We've heard before that, like other people saying that Stanford can't volley and this really (laughs) motivated us to uh, just step up our doubles game because it's so important. We've had four threes in the beginning of the season and four threes where we lost and that doubles point could have been a decider. Yeah, Uh, I'm definitely guilty of talking about Stanford's doubles as being a weak point over the years. I think traditionally that's been one of the areas and knowing that the teams historically and this year as well, so strong in singles, feel like you can get four, but uh, I think you have really stepped up doubles this year. It's been noticeable. You talked about uh, those those early season losses, you know, Stanford right now, 23 and two, those two losses coming at indoors, but you haven't lost since. In reflecting on indoors, you talked about doubles. Were there other things that you thought maybe weren't clicking at indoors that you've sort of righted the ship on down the home stretch? I think other teams have a relative advantage when we go to indoors. We only have one indoor court here <laughs> at Stanford. We don't play much indoor tennis at all. Like it doesn't really rain. It, and we are always outdoors. Whereas other teams, they spend like months indoor prior to this tournament and obviously it's more convenient for them like they're used to the fast pace fast courts and we're just like even this year a day before we were going to indoors we were practicing outdoors just because the weather is so nice um but i think indoors isn't very representative of our tennis and who we are as players uh even though like yeah, we've already stepped up doubles, which is a huge thing. But also, I think every single person, like one through six, has improved so much since indoors. I think right now we're hungrier than ever. We're like looking forward to our next match. We're taking it one match at a time. And like at practices, we're really looking good. So it's it's an exciting time in the season. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about that next match. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Your face, number 10, Ohio State, Friday at 1 p.m. at the Toby Tennis Center. One of the big you know, differences here for you and your two years at Stanford is this Sweet 16 match. Last year, you all went on the road, face number two, Oklahoma. This year, by being uh, virtue of being a top eight seed, you get to face Ohio State at home. Talk a little bit about the differences between having to go on the road in the Sweet 16 versus being able to play this match at home. Um, well, playing a match at home obviously is a huge advantage. Like you can stick to your typical routines. You don't have to fly anywhere in additional time. You're not skipping class. You can just kind of, yeah, just be yourself for another week. Um, as for other aspects, like during your match, I think Oklahoma had a really like big crowd and it was very tough to play, uh, with that crowd, which is obviously it's part of the game. Like they inevitably would have a crowd. It's yeah. Oklahoma Stanford. It's a sweet at the 16. Sweet 16. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. 
Um, so we were kind of expecting that, but nothing can prepare you for a crowd. Like at, during the deciding point or during the doubles point, someone will like be yelling at your face and just the accumulation of emotions is hard to deal with. However, at Stanford, we never really have that crowd. We have a lot of people that come, but they're mostly like there for the game or to like if you hit a really good point, people will clap yeah. and like admire your point. But no one will really start like yelling and screaming card at everyone else's <laughs> face. Um, I honestly, I don't mind that at all. I like a quiet atmosphere. I'm used to that. But I think that's one of the biggest differences between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in those home crowd, you know, at some of these other places are very different than some of the Stanford more docile fans who are very respectful and do appreciate the tennis. But yeah, it has to be a big, big difference, particularly for Stanford being on the quarter system. I know you all are still in school. A lot of these other schools are out of school, can really focus only on tennis at this point. So I know that that additional travel can be a burden during this kind of critical time you know, the thing that determines whether or not you're able to host is your seed. And I'm curious throughout the duration of this season, how closely you monitor Stanford's ranking, right? Whether you'll be able to be a top 16 seed, top eight seed. Do you monitor that at all throughout the season? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every single Tuesday, the entire team, all of the coaches, we would announce what we were ranked. Like, that was really, really important for us. I think, um, uh, it's important not to be result-based, but at the same time, it's important to set goals. Like, we, if we didn't make it into the top eight, that wouldn't be the end of the world for us. But from the beginning of the season, we knew what we wanted. We were set that, like, we were working towards the top eight and, like, match by match, week by week, we were working towards that. I think um, that's a really good thing about the team that I like. like with because we all set this goal for ourselves i think we were much more motivated we were much more interested in the next win like i knew we were just outside or maybe just inside i don't remember the top eight uh going into the pac-12 tournament and we knew that one loss could cost us hosting this third round so it was so important for us to just take what's ours like not have any easy mistakes and just really complete our mission from point A to point B. Yeah, uh, I it can speak for a lot of people in monitoring that kind of top eight race down the home stretch. There were teams that were nipping at your bud, right, in terms of Texas and Pepperdine and other schools where you're right, had you lost in Pac-12s, it would have been potentially a different story and you could be going on the road uh, this weekend instead. So very different result. Uh, you t- talked about you know facing this Ohio State team in the Sweet 16. These are two programs who are not super familiar with each other. You all haven't played since 2017. How do you scope out a team that you know isn't in conference, you haven't faced in a while? How do you go about approaching that match and kind of understanding what the matchups are going to look like? Uh, and what does this week of practice look like to prepare for that? Um, I don't think the practice is any different. I think we're still about working on our own game, our own singles, our own doubles. Um, when it, when we have to adjust, we'll just figure out uh, what we have to do during the match. Hmm. When it comes to like preparing for the our opponents, we have stats. We look at their stats 
they're like posted for us by coaches. We look um, like one through six, how they've been doing recently. And in addition, how the team's been doing just all around. But I think we don't focus on that that much, especially right now. Like everyone knows that anyone can be anyone right now. It's like, it's too far in the tournament to be to like be thinking that you're going to have an easy match and to think that, I don't know, you can just like be blown out of the park at the same time. So everyone knows that it's going to be competitive. Uh, Ohio State's been doing really well. They had an incredible beginning of the season, uh, but thankfully it's not the beginning of the season. So we'll see how they're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that kind of anyone can beat anyone. I feel like that's particularly true down these last few rounds of NCAAs and particularly given the depth that we're seeing in college tennis today, whether it be an extra year of eligibility from COVID, whether it be the transfer portal, you have so many teams that are just so deep across the country. Do you feel like coming into NCAAs, there is a title favorite. I mean, you all come in on a 20 plus match win streak. You have schools like North Carolina and NC State who have been flexing their muscle on the East Coast. How do you look at kind of the whether or not there's a title favorite or not? Is that something that factors into your your mind during the tournament? I haven't thought about it that much, honestly. I guess us. <laughs> yeah, we're I, I would assume that we're one of the favorites. We've had our incredible like past few months I think like everyone's been playing amazing one through six as I said before um I haven't been keeping track that closely to other schools but I guess well UNC's number one seed they're very strong but past few years they haven't been managed like they haven't managed to like actually win the title so I don't know if they'll be able to do this year. No, no shade for UNC. <laughs> I really love the girls on the UNC team. Um, Texas A&M's looking good, but they obviously have Carson who's out with the surgery. So that really shifted their team as well. Um, NC State, as you mentioned, is good with Jana Schneider. She's been having good results in WTA circuit too, with like yeah, qualifying absolutely. in Australian Open. Yeah, she's she's doing great. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think like all of these teams are looking great. Yeah. So I don't know. Like UCLA just beat Duke. Like who would have thought, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I had one coach say like, look, if you make it to a final site, in this case, it's Orlando at that point, it's who's playing the best tennis, whose doubles is firing on the right day. It's three days of tennis. And um, that's what you've got to focus on. So the, the path for you all to make it to Orlando continues on Friday against Ohio State. So really looking forward to that match. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your kind of pre-Stanford journey as well as the early you know, Stanford years, albeit you're still only a sophomore. Uh, you had a really impressive you know, junior career. You reached the 2019 US Open Junior Final. You reached top 10 in the world. I was looking back at that run to the US Open Final and you beat two would-be top 50 players in the world now in Linda Fruvitova and Chinwen Jung. Which win of those do you think will look better on your tennis resume in 20 years time? That's a good question. Um, 
Well, Shuun Jung is already doing amazing. Like I wasn't she in Vogue already? I saw some posts that she was in some incredible magazine. Yeah, I think she did a Vogue she, photo shoot. I think you're right. Yeah, um, I think that match. I don't know. That match for me was like a significant turning point in my tennis career. I thought like I was playing really good tennis under the lights in New York in the semifinals of US Open. I was like, oh my goodness. And it was so much fun playing. I think that match was probably, yeah, as I said, the, the most fun I've had. Uh, but Linda's playing amazing too. Linda, she like her back end's just amazing. I think she has a lot of people involved, like very closely in her life. Obviously, Brenda's doing amazing too. So she, yeah. the the two sisters, I think, uh, can help each other out to achieve great success. So obviously, she's going to do great. Um, I played Camilo Osorio in the final. She's top 100 as well, has a really good game, like likes clay a lot. I don't know. They're, I think they're all really, really good players and already very successful. Yeah, absolutely. Also, so many college tennis players littered throughout that 2019 draw. I was looking Reese Brantmeyer as well, uh, who made her debut this year at North Carolina. Really fun to look back uh, at, at that result. So when you transitioned from juniors and, and, and to college, was there anything that was a, a big surprise for you or what were kind of the biggest challenges for you in transitioning kind of either on the court or off court? Um, I think it took me a while to genuinely cheer for my teammates. I know this sounds kind of selfish, but I've been selfish my whole life. Yeah. And I think college really pointed that out to me. I used to be done with my match and then I would go home and go shower and change and like get ready for tomorrow's match. But now I had to stay and support my teammates. And at first I was like, oh, like. Can I just leave, please? And well, our first tournament of the year isn't a team tournament, it's an individual tournament, but you still have to support uh, like your Stanford teammates. So uh, it was, it took me a while to really get into the flow of just being there for my teammates and not, not only being there, but like genuinely wishing the best for them, which I know that sounds like uh kind of strange to some like of course it's your teammates but I think being like in a very secluded very individualistic like atmosphere in juniors I think it was a different world being team environment yeah yeah no I mean growing up tennis players and even on the pros you have to be very selfish right and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of junior players uh internalize that and coming to a team sport is is eye-opening one thing I hear a lot about Stanford in particular is given the resources it has, the people on campus, just how many incredibly smart and talented people there are outside of tennis. Have you had any experiences or, or met people that have kind of opened your eyes to world outside of tennis that has maybe aided in some of that self-awareness, maybe to not be kind of like a selfish tennis player? Yes, for sure. Yes. Pretty much every single person I meet. Uh, so there are a lot like people here do a lot of different things there are people who are interested in earth systems there are people who have been writing code since they were in middle school 
there are people who like take graduate level math classes when they're in their like freshman fall quarter. So all of these people have opened a different world to me. Like this, this uh, atmosphere has taught me that there's so much more to life than tennis, which is uh, kind of, it makes, I knew that I would have this feeling coming into Stanford, but I didn't know how significant the feeling would be. Coming into Stanford, I wanted to be like a professional tennis player. I thought I had good junior results. I was interested. I was good. I liked it. But since coming here, I realized that there's so much more that I have not yet tried. And I took some coding classes. I took some program management classes. I took stats. I took writing classes. I took English classes, like everything you could possibly think of. And like, this has helped me actually think about what I want rather than just doing what I've been doing my entire life. Yeah. I mean, it has to be a really eye-opening experience. Has it changed your plans kind of moving forward? You talked about professional tennis. Is that still something that you're focused on or still kind of deciding? I know you're still only in your sophomore year. There's a lot of time left to make these sorts of decisions, but talk a little bit about that calculus that you're deciding through. Um, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of time left. Uh, for this summer, I am trying out a corporate job, actually. I okay. am going into program management and seeing how much I like uh, working in an office. I guess it's it's very different than being a professional tennis player, obviously. But if I don't like it, it's just a three-month trial period. So I always have the chance to go back. And plus, I will be training during that time. So it's not like I'm losing that much time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, if you need any tips for uh, entering into the corporate world, happy to chat with you about that. I assume you'll be staying here in the Bay Area? I will be, yes. Okay, great. Yeah, so it sounds like you're still able to kind of have the best of both worlds, right? Still able to train, still able to get that practice in, but also explore some of those other alternatives. And being only your your second year, year at Stanford, you know, still have time and you know, tennis will tennis will be there after three months, I'm sure. Um, okay. So I want to transition to this past year because it has been such a remarkable year for you. You know, you had a great sophomore season, 20 and four at the number two singles position. Now you're 21 and two. You've stepped up into the number one singles position. Talk a little bit about what it was like stepping into that number one court there. Such a, a famed court, Stanford number one is a, is a pretty big deal. Did you feel any pressure in that transition from freshman year to sophomore year? What was that transition like? Honestly, I don't feel any different. Okay. I think uh, my tennis style is very similar. Um, the girls are a little bit better, I guess, but uh, that, that was kind of expected stepping into the number one spot. I feel very comfortable at the number one spot. I feel confident. I Even last year, I knew that uh, I was playing at two, but I could have been playing at one as well. So it wasn't that big of a difference for me. And right now, I'm sure Connie's playing too. And I'm sure she feels like she can be playing one as well, which she should be. And I I feel like, I don't know, it's very interchangeable. And uh, even though I'm happy to be playing one, obviously, I don't think that 
uh, it's like that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this level, everyone is so good, right? It's really small margins between one and two. And I think particularly on a team like Stanford that I've talked about this between you and Connie and Angelica Blake playing fantastic this season and and everyone on the team really on any other team, right, would probably be playing in the one or two position. So uh, it's a high class problem to have uh, there at Stanford and for some of these really elite teams. So one thing that I have noticed in your game, I've been fortunate enough to watch you in person, both at indoors and kind of throughout the Stanford season, is I think you might be one of the most clutch players in college tennis. I think back to indoors, you saved multiple match points in you know the match against Vidmanova, match points against Cam Mora, and you've done that time and time again here through the home stretch. When you're in those moments back against the wall, what are you thinking in those moments? Your player with big weapons, are you thinking that you're still going to go for your shots? I'd love to hear your thought process, kind of match point down, uh, what that looks like. Oh, yeah, I'm always going to go for my shots, <laughs> uh, especially uh, in those moments. Um, I know that my opponents will play tight. I know that this is my opportunity to step in the court. Uh, that, uh, I don't know, this is all about me right now rather than my opponent because my opponent wants me to miss but I feel like I'm confident enough to like hit through my shots and know that I won't um but throughout the season I think this year what has improved my game is my return I've been working on my return a lot and even though actually last few matches it hasn't been my uh strongest point but my return has helped me win so many matches. I think during those important points or even any deciding point, all I can think about is either getting my first serve in or returning deep cross quarter through the middle. So I think those two points set me up for success every single time. And I think no match is over till it's over. Like, I genuinely believe that. And in my head, I'm, I can be down like 6-0, love and I can be thinking like, oh, if I win two points, the girl will get nervous. So I'll be able to push through and at least get this game. So I don't know. I never believe that I'm out of the match until I'm out of the match. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that, you know, time and time again throughout the season. It's something that has struck me in watching your matches. So it's cool to hear your thought process through that. Uh, okay, so we'll close here with just a few quick questions uh, that I'd love to get your thoughts on. All right. Most difficult opponent that you faced in college tennis? Um, Aaron Cayetano. Interesting. Okay. Most memorable team win? The 2022 Texas win when they were number one and we were 64. <laughs> yeah, those, those early rankings can really throw you for a loop. Uh, yeah. Okay. There's been so many interesting storylines this season outside of Stanford. Has there been a school, a player, or a coach that has caught your eye this season? Um, sorry, that's a good question. I think Georgia caught my eye. I thought that they were a very tough opponent to play. Like, obviously we lost to Georgia, but at the same time, they were 
very nice. Like we, I, we were very friendly with them as well. So it wasn't like a dirty loss or anything. Yeah. And they just won fair and they just were the better team that day indoors. I think Georgia. Okay. Georgia. Yeah. Number four seed in NCAAs here. All right. Last two yeah. questions. Uh, one of the benefits of playing at Stanford is playing for legendary coach Lily Farouj. She's won 10 NCAA titles more than any other coach to date. Give me three adjectives to describe coach Farouj. Hands off. Uh, caring and this is an adjective but she's always there for you okay we'll just do like always dash there dash for you yes uh, perfect okay. <laughs> there we go those are the three adjectives and lastly i mentioned stanford is still in school it means students are still on campus uh, for those that haven't come out to a stanford tennis match this year what can they look forward to if they make it out to the toby tennis center on friday Oh, it's going to get heated. It's going to get heated on Friday. I think that these are some of the best schools in the country competing against each other. And I don't think college women's tennis can get any better than what they'll come out for on Friday. So they should definitely come on Friday at 1 p.m. Absolutely. I think the weather will be great. Uh, plenty of seating there at Stanford, comfortable seating, no bleachers. So uh, looking forward to that. Well, Alexandra, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure watching you over these past few years. I appreciate your honesty and authenticity here on today's show. And I look forward to, at minimum, I will see you in Orlando for individuals because you have qualified there. But uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, John. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hope all of you enjoyed this edition of our 2023 NCAA Sweet 16 Press Row. A massive thank you to every player and coach who participated in this series. We're all excited for the home stretch of the 2023 NCAA season. Hopefully these episodes help all of you feel more prepared for the impending action. Speaking of which, if you need to catch up on anything that's happened in this NCAA tournament, Tuesday, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, we'll have episodes of The Deciding Point recapping everything that happened to date. Of course, we'll also have coverage of the Sweet 16 Friday, Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have coverage of the quarterfinals of the D1 event. We're also going to start to work in some D2, D3 coverage as well. So rest easy, college tennis fans. We have you covered with coverage of everything that'll happen down the stretch of this 2023 season. Of course, a shout out here at Crack Rackets to the man who makes all of that possible. Our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Turna for their support. Turner Tough, best grip in the business. You can find it wherever you shop for your tennis supplies today. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.